It struck me this morning as I was preparing to come in what a good fortune it was for me personally. You may not feel this every moment of your practice, (laughs) but what good fortune for me to have the opportunity to come and serve this retreat and serve your practice. That we're having a shared intention here of, of entering a Dharma field, a field of as much truth as we can contemplate, look into, deepen into. So thank you for your practice, because I wouldn't be coming without you. It may be very obvious to say that. But yeah. And I know it doesn't always in every moment feel like good fortune to be at Gaia House. And if it does, does it? <laughs> We call it being in Gaia House, but we're really with our own heart, mind, body. Even though we know what brought us here, we know our clear intention, we know what we love about the Dharma if you've hung around long enough to come on a month-long retreat. And sometimes we do know that. The good fortune of going beyond the conventional view that happiness is to be found in gaining more pleasurable experiences and the avoidance of pain. That view that keeps us spinning, that the Buddha asks us to study in order to find the way out of the spin of the unsatisfactory, not, not landing at home. So this morning I'll reflect, I'll get to a reflection on the second foundation of mindfulness. So when we're not examining our experience, there is a kind of view that's operating. Intrinsically, constantly, we could say, constantly being concocted and built up that the untrained mind does not see. And what is that view? It's the view around self. The view, and if I put it simply, that experience is happening to me. Contact of sound, of sight, of smell, of taste, of touch, of thought, of feeling. It's, it's, it's happening, right? We can, yeah, it's happening. And it's happening to me. I am the receiver of that experience. And then based on this, then we have to do something about it. And I is constructed as the one that has to do something about what's happening to me. It's very ordinary. You almost don't question it because it's such a conventional way of seeing things, such a, an agreed-upon way of seeing things. You know that experience, right? If you're sitting here in your meditation, we can even be quite subtle at times, breathing in and breathing out, but the inference that it's happening to me, it's just, of course it's happening to me. It's almost like it's immediate, before, before the light of dawn arises, of course there's me that it's happening to. The memories are happening to me, the feelings are happening to me, but actually what we don't see is that they, that sense of self is concocted on the back of contact arising in the present moment. It is a secondary experience, the sense of it's happening to me or I've got to do something about it. It's on the back of the immediate data of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, 
image feeling. There is an endless cascade of sense contact. So just to remind you, I'm sure many of you have heard many times, but the sense doors, the five sense doors, sight, uh, eye, ear, nose, tongue, touch. Have I done them all? Yeah. And the mind. So the Buddha has the sixth sense door of the mind, thought, image, etc., There's a cascade. It's happening all the time whether we're a Buddha or not a Buddha. There will be this constant cascade of experience. But what we do with it, that is the difference between being in bondage to a life that spins in the familiar, in the known, in the unreleased, and the difference between that and the heart that is released. So this contemplation of feeling tone is given a very um, key place in the teaching, if you know the teaching of dependent origination, this circle of 12 links that the Buddha describes quite brilliantly, where the sense of samsara keeps spinning. We keep being born and dying in experience. Forget lifetimes upon lifetimes. You can do that if you like. But even here and now, with a happy one, And then something changes, and then we die. We're not the happy one. Where did it go? We feel lost, we feel bereft. feels like something's wrong, or I've done something wrong, and we infer so much into it. So this feeling tone experience, the Buddha says, it's right here where you can slip out of that cycling. If you study this, right here, you're not bound to repeating. The old, actually. It's very simple, but a huge leap to go from the kind of worldly view to the spiritual view. And I, of course, ultimately, they're not something that should be split. But what I mean by that is the conventional view. The Buddha, the Buddha says, fools seek for experience. The wise seek to understand it. Right? That's the shift into the spiritual domain that we're not trying to just get a good experience. Right? I'm sure, sure you are sometimes. <laughs> I do. It's like that's the, that's the default, isn't it? We want to have a nice experience. Even though we're drawn to practice and we kind of know, actually no matter how good it gets, it doesn't completely relieve the heart. The more lovely experiences I get, it doesn't do it for me. We know that. But unless we're really here, we will be enacting that out as if the best that life has to offer us is pleasant experience. Life has something much more profound to offer us than the accumulation of the pleasant and the pushing away of the unpleasant. Hooray. All right, because it doesn't work anyway, does it? Because (laughs) it's not in our control. It's not in our control. So it's a big shift then when we go from this sound is happening to me, or uh, because what normally happens, there's a sound and there's an I who is hearing the sound, or there's pain and there's the I 
who is the one who is suffering. Uncoupling those two processes, we can start to contemplate the Dhamma, which is in the immediate experience, there is a sound. There is pain. There is sight. There is listening. So simple, stripped away of accumulations. Can we learn how to listen, tune into that immediate, raw, unvarnished, present moment without having to concoct ourselves around it? How does that strike you? That's the invitation. Very simply put, can you know pleasant experience as pleasant experience, unpleasant experience as unpleasant experience, and neither pleasant nor pleasant, i.e. neutral, can you know that as neutral? Full stop. Where does your mind go with that when you hear it right now? Any complaints? It's unbearably simple, isn't it? It's not very glamorous. In fact, if, you know, in the program we advertise November solitary retreat, every moment will be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Come along. (laughs) Have fun with us. It doesn't give us much to get going on, and that's the whole point. The, the sankharas, you know, most of you know the teachings very well, um, and if you don't, please forgive me for not explaining every term. But the sankharas, the programs that get going, that get us withdrawn from life or raging at life or whatever it is we're doing, they get going on the back of contact. <laughs> pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Sometimes we fear we wouldn't act in the world if we weren't getting going. But action arises, liberated action arises from freedom, not from being compelled. So this is really what we're looking at here at this doorway of Vedana. Vedana is the Pali word for feeling tone. So let me read you this bit from... This is from the Samyutta Nikaya. There's a a lot the Buddha says about Vedana, but here's a small verse. He says, Whether it be pleasant or painful, along with the neither painful nor pleasant, right, neutral. So whether it be pleasant or painful, along with the neither painful nor pleasant, both the internal and the external, whatever kind of feeling there is, having known this is dukkha, This is suffering, perishable, disintegrating. Having touched and touched them, seeing their fall, thus one loses one's passion for them. Right? Having seen that these feelings, this pleasant experience, this unpleasant or neither, having seen, having touched it, so get intimate, right? We're not becoming aloof here in this observation. Yes, we're witnessing clearly, observing clearly with a kind of a 
objective sense, but we're touching it. He says, having touched and touched them, seeing them fall, right, pass away. Thus one loses one's passion for them. This kind of dispassion is not a dispassion. I sometimes used to hear that, that that meant I wouldn't have a heart in my life. It doesn't mean that at all. It's a dispassion that's a cooling out, that understands clearly that any feeling, no matter how good it gets, is not my homecoming, (coughs) is not the release. There's a cooling. We get less busy with the feelings. We release. And something else, the best that life has to offer, can start to intimate itself to us. Okay, so very, uh, back to the basics here. Vedana refers, as I said, to the immediate experience of contact that is happening all the time, that will be experienced by everybody as pleasant or unpleasant or neither. <laughs> I realize I must have said, said something like that about 15 times already. Right? So notice what happens if you're already tired of hearing that. Hearing. Sometimes when teachers would go on and on about the same thing, I would get so aversive. Right? What the Buddha says, that the unpleasant contact, let's say your ears are almost sensitive with me saying pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. It could get picked up in your mind as unpleasant. And the Buddha says the unpleasant contact, when the mind is not trained, will give rise to the underlying tendency towards aversion and hatred. So what does that mean in your practice? It means you might be experiencing pain, discomfort, irritation. And when we believe that it is happening to me, that it appears continuous, that the underlying tendency towards aversion and hatred will arise. And when we don't see that clearly, the kinds of thoughts that may be happening in our mind will be like, I hate meditation. I hate Guy House. I hate the Buddha. Right? We'll, and, and I'm painting it in a very gross way. But that will be sometimes how it arises, or get me out of here, or we go up back to our bedroom and we're counting how many days are left till the 30th of November. Have you ever done that? <laughs> no? Okay. Right? We can't, if, if our mind is getting involved in those kinds of activities, there is aversion arising. Our mind is spinning a story about somebody else that's here or how things could be done better. Underneath, if we come back to the immediate sense in that mind spin, there is unpleasant contact, which might be with the body, it might be with a thought. Know that for what it is and let the spin deconstruct. And we drop back into the simplicity, bare, unvarnished present. Are you up for that? 
because in some way we have to be disillusioned enough to want to hear that call for homecoming, disillusioned enough, like in that piece, that verse from the teaching there, disillusioned enough with getting the right kind of experience. If I keep pushing away unpleasant experience, and again, you may think, well, I don't do that, but it's very subtle. It can be very, very gross, and it can be very subtle. It can be in our subtle mindfulness of breathing that sometimes, almost energetically, we're pushing away some part of our body, our stomach might be unpleasant and we're kind of leaning on it, pushing it away. Pockets of our heart, we kind of get stiff and hard, we're kind of pushing away because we haven't yet been able to open to what may arise there. When we push unpleasant away, not only do we not know freedom, our world shrinks our sense of possibility shrinks, our life shrinks, our heart shrinks, actually. Simple example, you might notice it in this lovely autumn sunshine. A young woman practicing reported to me that she, um, in her walking meditation path, she would be walking in the daytime uh, in a spot that was sunny, like an eight-meter stretch that was sunny, because why not? You know, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. The Buddha didn't say, confine yourself to misery. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with pleasure. But she noticed, yeah, I'm walking in this sunny spot. And then she said, but what I noticed by six o'clock in the evening when I was walking, my walking path was no longer eight meters. It had shrunk to two meters. And she saw it, she got it. She like, sh- as the sun moved, actually the sun doesn't move, as we move, the planet moves, right? The angle changes. Her, the bit that was in the sun shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And so her walking path wanted to stay in the pleasurable, pleasurable part, right? It was just two meters walking back and forth. It's not a big deal. But for her, it woke her up right through the center of her. She said, that's what I do in my life. Again, unconsciously, it doesn't make us wrong or bad. It's just the instinct. And practice for freedom is going beyond just the the instinct to be comfortable. And she was delighted to see this. You know, even though it can be um, not very uh, sort of um, enhancing to our self-image to see what we're doing sometimes. She was so, there was so much joy to see, oh my goodness, that's what I do. And in the moment of seeing that, wanting to take a step onto the concrete in her bare feet that had the shadow on it, right, that had become cool, that felt like a stretch of her comfort zone as she took that step onto the cold patch of path. But her heart stopped shrinking. And the world opens up again. So small things, very small things, which you'll encounter all the time here, actually. All the time, often here. 
great opportunities for practice. So Vedana doesn't refer to emotion. Emotion is a much more complex um, conglomerate of different kinds of experience. This is much more bare. Um, kind of foundations, foundation of mindfulness. Right? It's the texture. Can you feel the texture of the pleasure as it arises? Can you let yourself sample that pleasure? The ease, the spaciousness, the kind of um, gentle, energetic ripple through your body. (coughs) Can you let that work on you without that having to be me or mine? Without having to take hold of the pleasure to get more of the pleasure? There's a huge difference. We can have the pleasure. There can be pleasure in meditation. It's wholesome and beneficial, particularly the pleasure born of seclusion that's not based on um, sense contact. Can you let that inform you, work on you, neither push it away nor pull it toward you, Sometimes we want to watch in the mind where the mind has a hierarchy around sensation, uh, around Vedana. Do you have a hierarchy? <coughs> Meaning, pleasure is good, displeasure is bad. And you'll know you have such a hierarchy if when there's unpleasant sensation arising in your experience, the mind will start spinning What do I have to do about it? What did I do wrong? I'm obviously not doing it right, etc., etc. Then we have a hierarchy. It's not like that. It arises due to conditions. It's not in our control. The Buddha himself had plenty of unpleasant sensation. (laughs) It is not the marker of freedom. Absolutely not. Some of us have a hierarchy the other way around. Do any of you have this kind of spiritual um, hierarchy that unpleasant sensation is good and pleasant sensation is bad? Right? Ah, good, I can have more of this displeasure because then I can work on this thing. Right? That will do me good. That's what I need to do. Or we try and pull back in some displeasure of the heart or body so that I can work on it. Don't need to go looking for anything. If we're looking for some trouble to work on, that's also based on an aversion. Because when I work on it, then it will go. Actually, in this moment, you've got all you need to work with. Pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. And what is very interesting about the neutral sensation is because it doesn't call so loud, the delusion here is that we lose contact. So right now even, check it out. If your experience is not pleasant or unpleasant in any very particular strong way, it's just kind of neutral, kind of easy, nothing pulling, nothing pushing. 
Look how that's the place where we go to sleep. People don't go to sleep usually when they're in a lot of pain. Or when there's a strong pleasure. When it starts to get quiet. When there's nothing much pulling at the sense of self to arise. We go to sleep. Ah. We lose resonance, literally lose resonance. We lose the capacity to resonate with that that doesn't go like this. You know, when things are really pulling strong, we kind of, too much resonate them with them, feel like we're being bombarded. But when the resonance is subtle, quiet, not calling loud, can you learn to deepen the resonance at the neutral sensation? at the neutral contact. When we lose resonance, then we just get back into our old habits, some of which are good, some of which are not, but it's still samsara, still the known. Can you hang out longer with the neutral? This is a doorway of incredible depth. What appears at first quiet, where we get bored, I heard the other day someone says, boredom is simply a lack of attention. A lack of attention. We need to bring the attention to bear right here and see where that quiet, undemanding doorway of immediate contact takes us. Will you let it guide you into more depth? Because with feeling we tend to either overemphasize or underemphasize the um, effect on us. We over, can overemphasize, and it will be based on you know, our, you know, there will be things from our history, of course, that that can be healed in the present, and we'll talk more about that. But sometimes unpleasant arises, and the feeling is like, oh my God, if I have to sit here another moment or it's going to be like this forever or or I'll die of this or the mind can get fearful and busy can we soothe the fearful heart and come back into this bare simplicity that right now in this moment my knee is burning my heart is feels like there's a needle through it or it's like a tight fist Can I come to that direct contact out of real compassion for myself? You know, the very famous Sutra of the Two Arrows from the Buddha, and I'll I'll put it up for you because people quote it all the time, teachers very often, because it's such a great metaphor. I thought some of you might like to look at it. I'll leave it up for the day. And it's, I won't read it all, but this is uh, what, what he says. And the Buddha said, when touched by a feeling of pain, the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, (laughs) isn't that a great translation? A run-of-the-mill person. means ordinary and untrained. It's not nothing wrong. But the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, when touched with a feeling of pain, sorrows, grieves, laments, beats her breast and becomes distraught. So she feels two pains, physical and mental. Just as if there were to shoot a man with an arrow and right afterwards were to shoot him with another arrow, 
so that he would feel pains of two arrows. In the same way, when touched with a feeling of pain, the uninstructed person sorrows, grieves, laments, beats his breast, becomes distraught, and so feels two pains. And it goes on to talk about the resistance, etc., etc. And then it says, Well, when the well-instructed disciple... You may or may not like that term for yourself. (laughs) It's a funny word, isn't it, for many of us in English, disciple. But for the person who's sincerely practicing, right, when touched with a feeling of pain, does not sorrow, grieve, lament, or beat her breast or become distraught. So she feels one pain, physical but not mental. Just Just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow, and right afterward did not shoot him with another, so that he would feel the pain of only one arrow. You get the gist. So let's have a breath with that, because it's very simple and basic, but very direct, only to be known here and now. Sense your experience for a moment. Let the breath come to you. And just get a sense for your global experience of your whole location, the wholeness of your body and mind right now. And there may be a general tenor to it, of pleasant or unpleasant or neither. Check it out. There may be specific pockets with, you know, places in the heart or body or anywhere that may have unpleasant tenor to them, texture to them or more pleasurable. To know it as it is. To not be pulled and pushed around by it is a gift to ourself and each other, actually. And there's vast industries and based on this um, compelling away from pleasure and compelled towards sorry, compelled away from displeasure and compelled towards pleasure how would it be for your heart to know it as it is this is pleasure this is disagreeable This is neither. Can you feel the lightness? The lightness of not having to grip and make it mean something about me. Even that thing we might have been working on for years. You know, maybe a frozenness in our heart or an ache in our body or a... 
How would it be? Oh, this little frozen pocket in my heart. It's arising due to causes and conditions. It's not me. It's not mine. And right there and then we can soften and widen. Widen into the bodily sphere, to our hands, to our legs, to our back, to the space around us. Widening around that unpleasant sensation, not gripping onto it to push it away, or gripping onto it to make something about myself. We'll do, we'll do that, of course, from time to time, and we need compassion with that. But really what we're, what's being pointed to is the release of the clinging, the upadana, the release of that tendency to keep gripping, gripping to push, gripping to pull. That's what gets released here. What a blessing. What a blessing. So uncoupling the sensation from the it's happening to me, that's secondary. That's on the back of. And as the concentration gets deeper over the days, you may be able to see that coupling up. Actually, it's just this. So working with recognition, right? First step of, oh, it's pleasure. Okay, pleasant, pleasant. Sometimes a soft little mental note in the mind. Oh, this is pleasant, pleasant. Or unpleasant, unpleasant. Or neither, or neutral, whatever word works for you. Discerning it clearly. Practice acceptance. There's a lovely practice I heard from one teacher the headline is this it's called Hot Buddha Cold Buddha <laughs> and you can practice it it's basically the polarities of experience hot and cold pleasure and pain like and dislike whatever it, whatever arises and the Buddha right there he has hot and cold she has hot and cold pleasure and pain you practice sitting there like a Buddha tolerating breathing breathing and widening with the heat Right in the sun, or more likely here might be the cool of the air, <coughs> where we want to start shrinking in relation to the cool. Now, Guy House is generally a lot warmer than it used to be in the old days, but but it's variable, isn't it? In here, you know, because it's a funny old building, it can be a bit variable. Two years ago on this retreat, there was no boiler, and it was really a cold November. And the November yogis were sitting in here. Maybe you were some of them, actually. Some of you were some of them with hats on and scarves on and ah, the air was cold coming out of there, um, the condensation in the air. Practicing hot Buddha, cold Buddha. Because there is that witnessing, that which knows 
is not bound by the vagaries of pleasure and displeasure, sitting there like a Buddha as the sun goes away from your face and it changes from pleasure to displeasure. Or whatever is the appropriate equivalent in your experience. One teacher puts it this way. His teaching, he, he actually um, only refers the meditative instruction to the quality of awareness. Right. So let me just explain that. All of this teaching about Vedana, basically, is to understand where we're clinging and to let go. Right? That's what it's for. It's not about becoming a kind of minute um, expert, although we may, in, at times in our practice, really, really hone in, of course. But the point is to be able to release the tendency of gripping and clinging. This teacher puts it this way. He says, in any moment... All you have to do is notice, am I wanting something to be happening that's not happening? There's three pieces to this. right? Am I wanting something to be happening that's not happening right now? That's the underlying tendency to greed, which is on the back of seeking for the pleasant. Right? Am I wanting something to be happening right now that's not happening? Do you ever see that come up (laughs) in your meditation? Wanting the bell to go or wanting lunch to happen or wanting to be somewhere else or wanting to be walking when it's sitting or sitting when it's walking or the teachers to stop talking when they're talking or wish they were talking when they're not talking. Right. His second one, are you wanting something to stop happening that is happening right now? Do you ever hear that shout in your mind that goes, stop, I don't want this. Shouting at our experience, subtly or grossly. Shouting. And the third one, are you not knowing right now if something is happening or has stopped happening? Can you see what that one is? It's the underlying tendency towards delusion. It's like we faded out. Are you knowing right now if something is happening or not happening? Do you know that tendency where we kind of fade out? So the first one is about greed. The second one, I wanted to stop something happening that is happening, is aversion. And the third one, do you know right now if something is happening or has stopped happening? It's where we've lost the crispness, the brightness, the precision. We faded out on experience. We don't really know if something's happening or not. It's got a little vague. People who tend more towards confusion know this very well. It's very painful. It's hard to see the pain in it until we're called into contact in some way. But it's very painful. So he puts it that way. Right? We're studying Vedana in order to see the tendencies to greed, hate and delusion that are spinning the cycle of samsara that we are invited to become free of. 
And this can seem like a, quite a reductionist view. Sometimes I would be unthrilled by the teaching of Vedana because it's, um, it is reductionist in a certain way. You know, we're reducing the, our experience, which can seem at times, you know, deep or meaningful or terrible or wonderful. Or, it feels like we're reducing this incredible humanity to something so small, like a sensation. It's like, I'm more than that, aren't I? But in a sense, if you can marry that reduction, uh, it is a reduction in order for us to come really close up with sensitivity. So objectivity and sensitivity to feeling this experience, tolerating more of it. So that what previously seemed like the, the depth that we knew about life, and genuinely did, that that level of depth does not have to be the uh, finishing post. There is more to see. There is more of the mystery to be uh, unveiled to us. But not when we're bouncing from contact to contact, pushing one away and pulling another toward us. So yes, there is this fine, precise reducing of experience to the bare bones so that the um, heart can know its release into real depth. Okay, let's sit for a minute together. just finally to say you know it can be really useful to take on studying vedana for a whole day or a whole few days at times in our practice to make that the uh, invest investigation like right now is this pleasant unpleasant neutral um i can keep doing it again and again and again so that we really train that muscle of really understanding how to step out of the proliferating cycles of the mind. So I invite you to see what's appropriate for you. Sometimes just pick it up for a day or two. Really become a student of that. Other times it can be informing our practice so that we it's like a tool in the toolkit, in a way, that we know how to apply and we see when we get caught that we can come, not trace back, oh, what happened, how did I get there, but come back into the immediacy of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So I leave that in your good hands. May all beings here see deeply into the nature of things. May we all be able to widen our capacity for experience without being defined by it or becoming it. And may all beings know the heart's release from clinging.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.